Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz with some breaking news. It seems <gasps> that Mariah Carey was broken out of her cryogenic chamber today, November 1, to announce that the season has begun. Saw that. It's one of the strangest things I've seen, and it's like, what? What are you doing? All like, I can, all I can think of is that someone's kind of sick of Taylor Swift feeding her lunch money. Oh, hey, oh, okay, that explains it then. You just <laughs> explained it for me. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, Taylor Swift is the new. Uh, I mean, I don't think Taylor Swift is a diva, but uh, I think you know, certainly it's it's been all Swift all the time. And then Beyonce has a concert movie coming out. I think in December. So I mean, we're. There's no room for Mariah. No. The elder stateswoman of, of pop ballads. And has done well, but won't be a billionaire like Taylor Swift anytime soon, probably. And Beyonce, for that matter, right? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. No, it's, um, I mean, can't, can't even sell that many copies of that Christmas song that I will not mention. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll never play it either. That You have our word on that. Open Source, this is CFRU's Political and Current Affairs Discussion Show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Ward 2 City Councilor Carly Klassen, who's going to talk to us with some of her pre-budget thoughts and her motion to support a guaranteed livable income, which was passed successfully last week. That is going to be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including the carbon tax. Justin Trudeau paused it for home heating oil, but is it really about affordability or is it just <gasps> cynical politics? Uh, but first, speaking of cynical politics, back to Queen's Park to start the week's show. Um, big, big document dump, 7,000 pages courtesy of two groups, Environmental Defense, Friends of the Show, and Eco-Justice, um, who uh, released all these documents that they'd gotten through a Freedom of Information request that shows that, uh, well, there, there wasn't a lot of oversight um, going on in the uh, provincial government when it came to deciding what the Green Belt's border should be, what municipal boundaries should be, um, it looks like developers were calling the shots. Any career civil servants that kind of uh, spoke up about their concerns about, you know, uh, messing up planning policies, years in development at the municipal level or environmental concerns, uh, they were told to uh, stifle it. Let's uh, put it <laughs> diplomatically. Um, and uh, Doug Ford, though, continues to claim he knew nothing about it, even though there's clearly memos and emails and things that shows that uh, as early as the fall of 2021, Doug Ford was uh, talking to people about how to shave the green belt to be of benefit to um, developers who he also counts as friends. Oh, yeah. Beyond the value of the ridiculous now, for sure. I mean, you said there was no oversight. It seems the oversight was if you were at Kayla Ford's wedding and were a developer, <laughs> you probably got the Greenbelt patch that you wanted freed up and an MZO to build on it right away. Mm -hmm. That seems to be the, the main thread. Uh, 
it would seem that there's more, this is according to the NDP, who I think probably went through every single page, that there was more MZOs given out at that wedding or <laughs> connected to that wedding than in the previous 15 years mm-hmm. combined. So there's a pattern. And yet, interestingly, at that presser, and I'm not, I may have been DeMello, his favorite guy, asked him or somebody was like, Da, da, da. And he's like, you're asking me about things that happened two years ago. He seems to be able to remember what Dalton McGinty was doing 15 years ago, <laughs> however right. the hell long ago that was, right? <laughs> but it's like, you're asking me about something that happened two years ago. His, the, the fingerprints are all over this. Mm-hmm. And what was it? Half of the MZOs given out of the wedding went to Flato, right? The developer of Vegas coincidental mud bath fame. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, in fact, did have a mud bath that was inappropriate. Right. So, <laughs> but to hear Calandra, and I heard him today too saying, well, you know, I, I, we, we didn't like the process. So we changed it. And Doug Ford is continuously now saying that, well, the same along similar lines. It's like, well, well, we got rid of that. We got rid of that. That's not the point. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not the point at all. Like the, the, the dirty deeds can't go unchecked, right? And this uh, this seems to be what they're hoping for. This is the gambit. It's like, it's like, well, we didn't like that, so we changed it. It's like, no, you did it in the first place. Yeah, you did this thing. It doesn't one doesn't excuse the other, right? So, <laughs> I don't know how they're going to pull back from this. A nosedive. I really don't. The only thing that might fix it is time. If there's enough time between now and an election, but well, here's the thing. It, it's the the pulling back and we talked about this uh talked a bit about this last week the pulling back of the official plans like a dozen different official plans and saying six months after announcing the change oh just kidding you don't have to change anything um i mean that's lost time pulling the green belt deal that's lost time you know you, you get four years in an, in an administration and they've lost one year essentially and you know municipal budget season's coming out and you have like burlington i think talking about six percent increase if i remember correctly you know different municipalities like mapleton was talking about four percent increase which is crazy for mapleton because you know half their stuff is covered by wellington county um you know so big towns uh little towns big cities little cities um they're all going into a budget season that is going to um have some probably a lot of rude awakenings for residents and then on top of it all you have you know he had a meeting with olivia chow on monday which maybe proves just how desperate he was to change the channel that he's willing to sit down with olivia chow and um you know work with toronto on their fiscal of course they the thing ends up passing the buck to justin trudeau it's like hey justin we had a meeting and we decided you should help cover toronto's fiscal (laughs) debt um Another favorite left-wing lunatic of, uh, of yeah. Doug's is Olivia yeah. Chow, right? Yeah. We're <laughs> screwed. We're screwed. Oh, and maybe we're not so screwed. Oh, I forgot. I actually forgot he said that. It's like, oh, yeah. Left the kids in there. We're going to be screwed. Wow. Um, now the BFFs, right? At least on this file. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to, you know, going to Justin Trudeau with the dollar sign sack. Yeah. They're, they're good friends. Um, yeah, they've lost time and they've lost trust. I think the only thing, it, I mean, there have to be like a real sudden turnaround, but I don't know if that's in the offing because, um, you know, we're still millions of units short. Um, all this stuff that they've done, it, I mean, it was never going to 
you know, build the units. It's never going to build affordable units. It was never going to build any units quickly um, in the way that we need to desperately address the housing crisis. We desperately need the government to have skin in the game, whether that's the feds or the province or preferably both. And yeah, all it does is all it has is burned whatever confidence there is that, you know, they had the benefit of saying we're going to build, you know, this is about building housing. We're going to build housing fast. And what the documents prove, it's like, well, it actually wasn't about building housing. It was about helping people make money. And that's kind of the root of this problem to begin with is people making money, people treating houses like junk bonds and using it as a place to park their money. Um, And that combined with, I think, I mean, not to ascribe completely evil motivations or completely greedy motivations to people, but I really think that this is more proof that too many people in government have swallowed the the the, the Silicon Valley bot uh, <laughs> silliness of like move fast and break things. You know, there was this line in the um, in one of the documents about how um, the 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 career civil servants felt they were on like a wild goose chase because they were given six weeks to figure out how to um, enact a process to remove stuff. Uh, to remove land from the green belt and they were like we you know we don't need six months like well here just get it done and we'll figure it out like that kind of just like move fast and break things aesthetic that i don't think has ever yielded anything remotely resembling substantive results but i think because you have a bunch of people who think that was the solution move fast and break things well it's broken if it wasn't broken before it's definitely broken now and uh you know the the sad part it is it hasn't gotten us any closer to actually fixing these big systemic problems that were decades in the making you know doug ford likes to get out and talk about we had all these people moved to ontario last year it's like dude uh anyone who can't afford a house today or a lot of the people who couldn't afford a house today couldn't afford one 20 years ago so oh no (laughs) it's it's not a new problem even no matter how much you want it to pretend it how much you want to pretend it is yeah, and I said it last week too. I'll say it again that the whole trying to blame other people, particularly the feds, is getting really tiresome. Mm. He just does it continuously now. Whether he's jumped, we're going to talk about it in a bit the carbon tax bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Another presser at a gas station, please. Anyway, same none gas of this station. will. What's that? Same gas station. Oh, it's the same. So it must yeah. be friends as well, probably. Right? <laughs> Maybe he gets ten percent off and a coupon for a soda or something i don't know but yeah so th- <laughs> this is the thing that's been unearthed from this and i i there's always been a relationship between let's just stick with the province of the province and developers mm. how tight that relationship is you know you'd have to go back in time and pick everything apart it's mm. just just how it works when you were talking about accelerating the process is like there are ways to accelerate the process without resorting to dirty deals so it's like they want to ram the sucker through but then bring all the friends along the support of them so mm. but we're seeing the level of influence that you know real estate investors their crew developers have on you know i would say on all stripes of government but this one in particular is is really bad mm-hmm they're each they're entwined with each other they're interlinked as we've seen like i keep going back to the wedding but that it just speaks to the ridiculousness of it again that's my favorite word i think these days it's like <laughs> are you, you're you're serious about this right mm-hmm. that the staff make changes to municipal setup 
to benefit select landowners. Mm-hmm. Not the civil service. Some of the people we're talking about that had to like bust a gut to like try and get things done. Yeah, and then it's just all repealed and 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 walked on. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're walking it all back. And like you, like you said, nothing nothing is getting done. Well, no, I mean, how's things are still getting built, but it's like, sure, not at the warp speed that's required to to solve the problem. So then, what do you do? It's like, well, the feds aren't giving us enough money. It's like, no, that's that's not necessarily the issue in this case. They well, should give. They should all levels should be involved directly involved, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. you can, you can't just sort of pawn this off on them directly. Yeah. You have staffers writing things like Pandora's box is open in the margin of memos. Um, you have staffers like saying to like the, the civil servants saying like the political staff, like, you know, yeah, it's one thing to say we're going to pull this land out of the green belt, but you still need to have it serviced with like wastewater and water and like all yeah. these other things. And it just seems to be like there's no kind of acceptance that, you know, you don't just open a piece of land and build a house on it and everything's good to go. That's not how development works. No. Um, and as you know, sort of proven, not everybody who had land in the green belt was interested in developing it. Some of them were interested in selling it. And that was like one of the, the, the things along the way in this is that those two pieces of land in Ajax, where they come on the market and the developers like land for sale <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they don't want yeah. to develop it. They just want to make money off it because they parked money there years and years ago. And the, oh, that, that, the, the letter from the Hamilton situation, right? I right. was assured by John Tory and Tim Hudak that right. my property was mistakenly put into the green belt. Mm-hmm. Sure was. And Donna um, Scully, Donna Scully roped into that as well. Like just, it, it's just coming out and coming out. It's like, I mean, her, her, I find particularly disappointing because she used to be a yeah. municipal counselor and a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I, I think there, there's sort of a, a broader issue here about a government that that is is kind of not following evidence even when it's in their own reports there was this one article cbc about that has kind of gone under reported because of all the other stuff that's happening but um the, the ford government established a protected area working group in 2021 that was comprised of indigenous groups ngos environmental leaders um local governments um people with the ministry of environment and parks and conservation. And it, you know, it came to the conclusion that, you know, uh, taking into account all the protected land, whether it's private, whether it's public, whether it's municipal, provincial, whatever, 11%, um, 11% of land in Ontario is protected. And that's like on the super low side in Canada. Mm. And so they go to, um, you know, they come back to the government with this report. And it's like, Hey, we need to take measures to start, making sure more land is protected and of course this is a year before the green belt is uh is is announced to be be separated and parceled off to to, for development land that was already protected part of that 11 percent. but what happened to this report buried and again it was an foi request somebody filed so dug up this report it was a completed report and it was filed away this is not the first time this has happened there was that report that uh, Ken Sealing and I can't remember the other guy's name um, that did into like regional government review in 2018, 2019. That was buried. Haven't seen that report. But what was you know Steve Clark doing before he was fired or resigned or whatever? We're gonna have a you know a special investigator into you know to find out if regional government's a good way to go in the future. They just keep producing this information that ends up going nowhere. Mm-hmm. 
or is buried purposefully so that people can't find it. And so, you know, it's a real trust gap now because even the, when the government seeks out information, they're not presenting it. Um, and so, you know, it, 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 given that, you know, what do you produce a report so you can get information that will inform direction, that will inform policy? But what happens when you just bury a report? This happens. You just do what people tell you to do. And well, that that's part of it too. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure I've said this before as well. Is that doing reports and committees and investigations passes for action? Yeah, and they'll all default to that. They ask them a question, say, "Well, we're studying it. We're yeah. looking at it. There's that's going it. to be a report. Sure. It means nothing in the scheme of the bigger picture. It doesn't mean anything because, as you said, they just kind of disappear. They get end up on the dusty on the shelf until somebody that might be interested, journalist, whatever." digs out starts digging and gets interested in it again but beyond that it, it, accomp it they, they accomplish very little mm -hmm. because the report comes out do you implement anything that's in it no is there a new government possibly so there's all of these other um possibilities right mm -hmm. but number one is that it just sits mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that's then you end up well you don't end up with a situation like this it just doesn't get the examination that it should oh this one this one is getting quite a bit of examination <laughs> yeah and it's going to continue to get a bit of examination and also getting examination right now is this decision by the trudeau government at the federal level to uh double the pollution pricing rebate um and and then implementing a three-year pause to federal carbon pricing on heating oil and that is getting a lot of attention because uh, he made this announcement in Atlantic Canada, surrounded by the members of the Atlanta caucus in the Liberal Party. And uh, predictably, uh, you have Scott Moe, uh, Daniel Smith, uh, Doug Ford, Pierre Polivare all teaming up to say, hey, if you can pause the carbon tax for heating oil, why doesn't everybody get a carbon tax pause? So, um, begs the question. I mean, especially since the Bank of Canada said that the carbon tax had a 0.16% impact on inflation. Hmm. Uh, what is Justin Trudeau doing? Is he really saying that uh, his carbon tax, which he's made the centerpiece of his domestic policy, has made life more expensive for people? Or uh, is he uh, playing politics? I don't know. It's. Uh, I think I know what the answer is, but uh, I, I don't think it's going anywhere good. Yeah, I would say the latter. I mean, talk about a cynical move. And listen close, folks, because I won't say this often. I don't think the names that you mentioned are necessarily wrong in this instance. <laughs> because they've been served up such a freebie by this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, yeah. if you can do it for them, there's also people with oil heat in Alberta. There's also, you know, it's not, it just shows you how you know shaky ground the carbon tax is to begin with in terms of accomplishing anything in the name of climate change. It's a political tool, but also if you're going to use it mm -hmm. in the, in this way. And it, it, it's, it's expediency, right? You, you can just dump it. You can say, okay, well, we're going to, we'll get, we're out of it here. It just mm -hmm. shows how ineffective like this the scheme is, and now, Kwaliev wants a, a carbon tax election. <laughs> so I heard that it's so ludicrous. Yeah, 
everything's broken. We need a carbon tax election. It's like, okay, that's probably the last, one of the last reasons why we need an election. That's not to say that there aren't problems with the carbon tax. Well, that's also to say that the last two elections weren't also about the carbon tax. Yeah. And, I mean, he's, and he's, he's and a Supreme elected, Court just, case. And yeah. <laughs> let's, ju- let's just make it about this, right? Yeah. But the problem is when he wins, yeah, <laughs> then it'll be like, you see? Yeah. And then carbon tax is gone and we know when and if probably when Paulie Evan company get in, there will be no, z- there will be zero action on the climate file. No. So we're going from weak and it, it's weakness is proven by what the announcement for Atlantic Canada. I mean, mm-hmm. good, good for the seniors in Atlantic Canada, right? Mm-hmm. None of, none of them are going to be upgrading that old oil thing. No. To, well, the gas too. Gas is another story, but it's just like, it's not happening. No, nobody's going to be getting heat pumps. Uh, like, it you know you get two hundred and fifty dollars to get a heat pump, um, or to, to take two hundred and fifty dollars off to get a heat pump. No, no, that's not going to happen. No, and that's that's well, I'll not prove it. Yeah, I was going to get a little bit into the science of them, but yeah, it's usually <laughs> around minus twenty. It just uh, they're not they're not so good, yeah. but <laughs> but they're getting better. They're better than they were, right? Well, uh, yeah. But I'm- does this does taxing people on heating oil? in any way give them an incentive to get a heat pump it, it comes down to this whole do we individualize this or is this their bigger picture stuff it's supposed to be bigger picture stuff right mm-hmm. but the bigger picture is that liberal support in the Atlantic provinces is eroding like faster than the shoreline probably right so um that it, it does come down to that they're not wrong and i don't say that often well, I mean, <laughs> so it's in the archive now. I can't take it back. But <laughs> just like the political, the naked political action, though, like uh, Gaudi Hutchking, uh, Hutchings, uh, the rural minister, uh, the the minister of rural development, uh, he was on question period, and she said, uh, Vashi Capello said, like, you know, well, what about you know expanding it to Saskatchewan, Alberta? And he he just said straight out, it's like, well, if they want to have an influence on policy, maybe they should have, elect more liberal MPs. And I was, I was oh. like, Oosh. oh my gosh. Um, so this is about politics, but I mean, it just it's it just seems like such it's it's such a simp move. Like, regardless of whether or not the carbon tax is working, it could be debatable whether or not it's working. I mean, um. So much political capital was laid to get this done. Like a Supreme Court case. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. Years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And to just say, well, okay, you know, maybe we can just like fiddle with it and like take it off. And, you know, maybe it is. Maybe it is causing a struggle for affordability. The case has always been, this is not a matter of affordability. Um, and I would say that's still the case. I mean, talk talk about inflation. What's like a flooded coastline going to do to inflation, Right. What's, mm-hmm. you know, a, a planet worth, I mean, especially coming after this summer, where there, there was like so many bad air days, like eight, nine, ten, you know, where you go outside and you smell smoke and there's like nowhere, there, there isn't a forest fire in hundreds of kilometers. Um, You know, we're seeing the effects of this, whether yeah. it's drought, whether it's the fires. um, And this has, you know, in florida now you can't get an insurance policy on your house to save your life or to save your house for that matter um there are very real economic downfalls to climate change we haven't started to really see them here yet but we are going to um 
and it just seems so short-sighted and like it's it's the kind of thing you know the, the whole idea with the carbon tax is like we're looking far into the future like this is going to have a like a long it's a short-term pain for long-term gain and now that there's like sort of real short-term pain trudeau's like yeah okay well maybe we'll relieve the pain a bit and again what was the point of it all you know if all this fighting all this like why did you even do this in the first place if you can just like take your foot off the pedal so easy i think that's the most disappointing thing it's like you know i i don't think i've noticed too much change in my life i live in a city um Mm. i i don't blast the heat in winter i don't feel the cold as much as other people but um but i mean what was the you know what was the point that's i think that's the 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 question i'm leaving and and to to your point too it's like what's the alternative pierre polyver can go out there all the time and say like axe the tax okay and then what Axe the tax. Okay. And what are you going to do? Like, what's the environmental policy for the conservatives? Axe the tax. Got it. You want to axe the tax. But what do we do when half the country's on fire from March to October every year? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is now. Well, well <laughs> one of them would be to not elect Poiliev and company because they have no plan. It's all, it's all vagaries. It's all this, just this stuff. It'll be like, okay, well, you know, there will be some technology that will come. Mm-hmm. And you know it is kind of along the lines of carbon tax is supposed to drive innovation, which it doesn't. It just punishes individuals mm-hmm. generally. It's it's supposed to be a, a blanket thing, like as so we we can all contribute to the future, right? What what do the corporate speak is like? We'll drive innovation. Right. The only way to reduce emissions is to reduce emissions. Yeah. With all the carbon capture and all this stuff. It's like you want to reduce emissions. It is possible. To increase prosperity, if that's your thing, mm-hmm. the amorphous prosperity, mm-hmm. uh, and reduce emissions, it's 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 doable. But you have you have to reduce emissions, mm-hmm. and and embrace alternative tech. Right? The the conservatives will say, "Oh, well, it's small nuclear," and and I don't know if you saw that there was that clip of Daniel Smith having it out with somebody who who's. Uh, renewable energy project was canceled in alberta and he went to this whatever to conference uh, conference to uh, confront her and she's like mm. well let me tell you about that you know the sun doesn't shine all the time all the all this stuff yeah yeah they're all on the same page with that too right it's like so when you've even got somebody like rachel notley calling it unfair and eb and bc like the ndp are even like you oh, it's not it's not really that fair to people yeah um we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come right back with our interview with carly classen you are listening to open sources guelph you're on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio it's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day your month or even your year but I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour I'll be there for you like I've been there before I'll be there for you cause you're there for me too 
That was uh, lounge artist Richard Cheese with a more somber take on the Friends theme. Going along with the theme of the demise of Matthew Perry this week, who is a... I learned he's like one day older than me or was one day older Mm. than me. Mm -hmm. And has put sent ripples through the Gen X and all communities who knew and watched Friends, of which I I missed Friends completely almost. Mm. But of course, it was part of the zeitgeist i guess so i knew about it Mm -hmm. and may have been forced to watch it at least once but it had its place in people's hearts so Mm -hmm. could this be any more sad that's a chandlerism i don't know if you were familiar that familiar with the show that was no not at all could this be any yeah that's it yeah oh no it is definitely like somebody's 54 but yeah so i i hope i hope i made somebody's day hmm um it's hard to pivot from uh, yeah sorry about that i uh (laughs) just like sad sad tv sitcom death news um to a ray of hope how's that sure i'll take it uh carly classen did offer a ray of hope uh last week when she got the majority of council to endorse a call to pass a guaranteed livable income uh, that was something of her own volition that didn't come from a, a board report. So it's obviously something we talked about in our interview this week. Um, also, pre-budget discussions. The budget docs don't technically drop till sometime tomorrow. Um, and that starts the 30-day process that has to do with like strong mayor powers. Um, <laughs> more bungling from uh, seat <laughs> first topic. But uh, so we talked about budget. Uh, we also talk about Carly's role as the downtown ambassador and all that good stuff. So here's our interview with Councillor Carly Klassen, and I'm going to hit play on that starting right now. Okay, Carly Klassen, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. Um, as as the mayor mentioned, we're recording this on Thursday. He didn't mention that part, but we're recording this on Thursday. It was the uh, city council meeting on Tuesday, which was exactly one year ago from election day so i guess how do you feel 367 days later as we're recording now how do you feel about the job do you have to feel like you have a good handle on things <laughs> um i th- i am getting there you know there's a big learning curve and um people have given me various timelines of like when you really start to feel like you have ownership over the role and the last like month or two i've really started to feel different about it um but there's still so much you know I I think that's why it's you know the consideration of a second term is probably such an important one because um you know by year two you probably really have a good grasp on thing and then by year three you're already starting to you know think about what's coming next so yeah I mean it's been a huge learning curve for better or worse you know there's there's lots of there's lots of amazing people doing amazing work and then there's things that are like oh this is this is interesting so um one thing that i mentioned to you earlier is the work life balance is is challenging for a part time counselor but i'm i'm working through it and and trying to make it work with my with my entrepreneurial endeavors it it it's which is a full time job as well just so. to be cl- just to be clear though you did not just announce your intention to run for re-election in 2026 no, not yet. <laughs> That's good. Good. Just to be clear, um, you, you, you. I guess you set a milestone for yourself. You passed your sort of first motion that you brought forward uh, independently. That wasn't a staff recommendation. 
Um, so how does that feel? Like, do you feel like a grown up city councilor now? <laughs> you know, it was, it did feel like a milestone. I, you know, I will say that it, it, it's something it's one thing that we start doing from day one is we do have council orientation, but there's a difference between being trained on something and actually <laughs> practicing and applying it in real, in, in a real meeting. And, and, and so this one, you know, I have actually tried to bring motions forward previously. Um, but, but this is the one that actually came all the way through um, because building a motion takes time it's not something that just shows up on the meeting agenda one day it it takes you know weeks of preparation and so yeah I think it is a good milestone especially at one year it did it was exactly one year too so it was a good, <laughs> a good check mark to have um and I am pleased with the outcome of the result of the of the vote because I think that guaranteed livable income is is something that we should definitely be considering, especially in light of what's happening in Canadian economics right now and how people are are really struggling. So it did feel like a good thing, even though you know it is it was an advocacy ask, so it wasn't a direct ask of our of our city staff. Right. You know, I, I think um, to sort of get into your thinking a bit about why it was important to. Um, I, I guess put a flag in the ground for having a guaranteed livable income because again, that's not something the city's in control of. It's it's exactly. the c- city council saying, "Hey, can you guys in the upper levels of government look at this?" Why was that important to you uh, to to sort of enshrine that to 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 sort of bring that forward and and have the council use its collective voice? I think that you know one thing that we do have we have to think about all the levers that we have as city councilors and and how we can we can make change and how we can influence what's happening in our world. And one of those levers is advocacy to our upper levels of government. And we have a really important relationship with those upper levels of government because they fund a lot of the things that are happening in our communities. And in turn, we actually share what's happening in our communities. We're the closest to the people in our communities. Um, the upper levels of government, they don't live here in Guelph. They, they, are in there most of the time in in you know in Toronto or Ottawa, but we're always living here in our respective ridings. And one thing that I think is important is to say, hey, we're seeing you know we're talking to our 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 local nonprofits and our local agencies, and this is what we're hearing, and this is what we're seeing, and this is the data. People are struggling. And, you know, we need something more. And, and you know, a part of that is also reinforcing what's already being done and, and encouraging it. So right now, you know, at the Senate, the Guaranteed uh, Livable Income Act is being is being um, read. It's in its second reading. So tying it into something that's already happening, too, I think is an important thing. Like it creates momentum when you when, you know, and again, I think I said this when I was talking about the motion, I'm not alone in my thinking. I actually pulled this from an information report uh, from the town of Grimsby. That's where it first came to me. Um, and immediately I was like, we should be doing this. Um, and, and even before that, this is not a unique idea in any capacity. We talked about it. It was something that I was asked about when I was campaigning as well. Like, would you support the the you know, the notion of a guaranteed livable income and and it is something that I supported and so kind of bringing that full circle as well to say that yes as a council we want this and we can get behind this I think 
uh, was important. Well, that makes me think about money and money makes me think about budgets. And (laughs) (laughs) you know what's coming. Um, You know, we're sitting here one week out from when the budget documents themselves are going to be dropped. So I guess the big question is, uh, are you ready? (laughs) Um, you know, I think I'm as ready as I'm going to be. So, (laughs) you know, as, as, as much as, you know, I think Guelph, we're, our, our staff really does prepare us super well. We have great resources available to us. We have, we're assigned a budget buddy. There's a lot of preparation meetings. We had our first like kind of prep meeting, like as like a, here, remember, this is how we do budget um, a couple of weeks ago. And we have great tools at our, at our disposal. Um, so as far as being ready, you know, we have all of all of the, the tools we need to be ready. The things that we can't control at like at, at budget time, what we can control for is just like what's happening in, in the economy. Like, I mean, we have so many factors that are driving and, you know, what I think and know will be an increase to property taxes. And that's a really hard, you know, knowing that information with, you know, we tried to control so much for it last year. Um, but inflation has been going up. Mm-hmm. Um, things cost more money. Um, people need more things. And this is just a kind of, this is, I believe, I'm, taxes always increase. And we're just <laughs> trying to ba- keep keep a balanced approach to things, right? Knowing knowing that people are all in different positions. You know, some people are really struggling and something like increase, increasing your property taxes. I mean, we already are hearing so much about um, people's mortgages increasing in the next few years. So when you add, like, you know, some people are going to be paying like a thousand to two thousand dollars more for their mortgages, and then you increase their property taxes on top of that. Right. Um, we know that that's you know we know that those little things matter, and so we we have to weigh the the needs of our community and uh, the growth that's needed in our community, and also you know just the reality of everyday living. You know, like when we increase taxes, that that impacts people's lives. Um, and that said, you know, their budget time is going to be challenging. And you know why? Like Bill 23 and the changes that were made there are, are, are I think, challenging as well as the housing pledge. We've set like a pretty, pretty insistent target. And our budget is built ar- around that. And to meet the province's, you know, requests that we do that. And so from my perspective, I'm balancing the need for growth, but also the need to manage what's already happening here in our communities. We already ha- we have lots of people living here who have needs and who have an expectation around, you know, service levels and and what we provide. You know, those things that, you know, I get emails about every single day like, "Hey, can you fix this pothole? Mm-hmm. Um, what about this curb? It needs to be repaired. When I turn left on this street, it doesn't make sense." You know, those everyday things that are all in, you know, they're all in queue. Like, you know, we, you know, there's like great asset management planning happening at the city. But those, those like kind of everyday things also take up budget and time. And they're important to the people who live here and who have been paying taxes in our community for a long time. So we have to kind of balance that, right, with this need to develop infrastructure to support new growth in, in, in the city. So I am always taking, you know, and that's what we've asked for at the, I, I think you'll remember at the meeting, we talked a lot about 
um, that target. And I was, mm-hmm. I was curious, do we need to, like, I'd like to see the budget in a few formats, which is like, mm. you know, reaching for growth, but also, you know, maybe not reaching so far for growth because, you know, we talk about levers and one of those levers that we have less of is um, we can't, we, we're getting less uh, development charges. So our budget and what we're able to collect as development happens in our city has actually been reduced by, I think, I think it's $237 million over mm-hmm. the next five years. So that's significant. Like we have to think about where that money is coming from. It's not c- currently being provided uh, by the province. So um, these are real considerations that we have to be making. And, and um, I'm, I'm hopeful that I can, I, my, my, always my goal is to take a balanced approach um, and make sure that, you know, we're serving people as best we can because it isn't, you know, growth is not the only thing we have to consider. It is an important thing, but I really, you know, have to think about the, the things that we already have and how are we taking care of the things and the people that are already here. And as we know, uh, Premier Ford is is counting our housing starts very, very closely. Um, if this week's question period is to be believed, <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate that that's the metric that they chose to um, to measure, like cities and how we are approving housing, because we we can't like as a city, you can't we can't go down to the plot and start digging like that's not our role so we can encourage developers like once they have their permits we can encourage them to begin their projects asap but ultimately it's their decision when to to start so i mean i think you know and i think a lot of um councils have been asking not to measure cities progress by housing starts but uh to measure by permits um provided because that's what we can that's what we have within our control um i it just seems very strange to me to ask a city to measure a housing start like Mm. i I, how is that it's like setting us up for failure Mm. and and one of you know again in my very junior uh city council experience i just I feel like it's such a, it's such a a setup for failure. And, Mm. and, and, you know, I, as somebody who thinks a lot about team building and how do we build up others, it, it, it's a, it's a diametrically opposed to helping it's, it's actually hindering because it's like, well, we want you to do this thing, but we're not like, you can't control the outcome. So I mean, one thing that it does do that is positive, it does encourage cities and developers to work together. And, mm. you know, that that is a positive thing, um, I, I think. Anytime people are working together to 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 build, I think it's it's better for the community. That said, it it, it is out of our control. So I was going to say also, with that said, uh, your colleague, Kathy Downer, got into it with somebody from the Home Builders Association, which I which I enjoyed because we don't have enough social media beefs, like real social media beefs in Guelph. Um, but there seemed to be this back and forth with Kathy pointing out that, you know, all these houses have been approved, but construction hasn't started. And I can't remember the gentleman's name from the Home Builders Association, but he's you know saying, well, you know, there are lots of reasons why housing, you know, 
doesn't start construction doesn't start and he, he took some exception to this like the six thousand unit number as sort of not being legitimate either so i mean in, in so much as like it's encouraging um that cooperation you're talking about it almost seems like it's it's causing some some i guess discombobulation as well yeah i didn't see the back and forth between them so i can't speak to it specifically um however i I think just generally, my observation is that there's a natural tension between hmm. city government and de- and private development, um, because I think really their end goals are different. Because development is a business, and the primary goal of business, regardless of what it is, is to make money. Right. Um, and the goal of local government is to serve the greater good. So you're trying to think of as many people as possible. And so when you have these, these, you know, different, different missions, really, um, the things that are driving the private business and and the government, city government are always going to have this, this tension. And so that's, that's what I see played out. Um, I, I have questions around, you know, the privatization of housing just generally, sure. because especially because we, we've, I think we all can agree now that housing is a human right. Yeah. So um, I find it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a complicated beast. Um, I really wish, you know, if, if, <laughs> if I was in my ultimate ultimate world <laughs> like you know <laughs> utopian world is that we would work we would find ways better ways to work together because i i do think that there are are some developers who really work well with the city and i've seen it you know it takes some time um and i think we're getting like we're getting better um but i've seen some really great partnerships and collaborations and and i think that baker street development is going to be one of those 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 places um, I'm, you know, excited for what Fusion is doing in the innovation district. There's some, there's some good examples of of collaborative work, um, but yeah, it's it's super challenging. And if it was up to me, I'd be like, yeah, let's. How do we, how do we make sure that it gets done? Because all of this stuff, all of this talking, and you know, like confusion and discombobulation is just like pushing out timelines, right? Mm, and, mm. I, I really am more of like, how do we really address the issue and, and, and get going on some of these things? Because there's still units that need to get built and they're not being built. Right. So how do we, how do we solve that for that? You know? And I, I find that kind of frustrating, but I will check out the, the beef on Twitter. I, I, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen that. <laughs> That's all right. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about wearing different hats because you're on the library board mm-hmm. and I didn't look up the number in advance, but I believe it was an 8% increase in the library budget that was approved mm-hmm. last month. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but I can imagine a couple of people on city council having a heart attack when they see that number uh, for library <laughs> I mean, with all the other considerations. But I mean, it's going to be even more difficult for you and Rodrigo and Leanne, because you're library board members, you're also city councilors. So um, are you able to sort of, I guess, wear those different hats and think separately, given those two roles? Um, are you, is, is the expectation you're going to have to fight for that 8% increase or, or, you know, what's sort of the thinking there? 
So, yeah, I mean, we do have do two different roles. My understanding is that this has been planned. This, mm. you know, it has been in the capital budget for some time. It has been in the in, in on the on the radar of city council that these increases are coming. And I think that the library board held true to their commitment of not increasing their budget for many years in in preparation for this. Because, you know, it's there's a lot of work that's going to go into preparing for the the open of the new library. And so there's things, there's considerations like hiring staff and training staff. And really it's about um, starting to gather what is needed for the library. And so we always knew that this was going to happen. So um, for me, it's not a surprise. And I don't think that any of city count, the other councillors should be surprised. Now that said, there, I, I think there's, always a few counselors who will look at the library budget and start going line by line, mm. which I don't think is fair because we don't do that with a lot of the other budgets ever. Um, and I think that the library has been needlessly targeted um, as, as a way of cutting the fat for many years. And I think that, you know, the same scrutiny truly isn't applied to projects that have a shorter lifespan like the South End Rec Center. Mm. And so my my invitation is just to perhaps like, you know, this has already been, this is in our strategy. Like this is in our like, you know, strat plan. I I don't I I I believe personally that the the library board and staff who put together the budget really had the best interests of everyone in mind when they produced the budget. I I don't I I I really believe that. So I am not um of course there's going to be a discussion about it, but I I'm not surprised about the increase. Okay. Um uh, and maybe to wrap up, um you have an additional role uh, the city councilor, which is your kind of the downtown ambassador as it's going through these these changes over the next several years in terms of infrastructure. But I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of attention is on downtown for reasons of like availability of social services and a number of people who are suffering homelessness and mental health and addictions issues who you know, spend a lot of time in the core because that's where the services are. You go online and, you know, you see a lot of the complaints about uh, you know, what it's like downtown these days. So, I mean, you're the ambassador. Um, it, it, what's the good news story downtown as we're heading into the, you know, the holiday season and, you know, the time of year where we, we kind of want to send more people into the core because it's, you know, good shopping, good eating, Santa Claus parade time. So, you know, what's what's the good news story there? Well, I think the good news story is that downtown has a lot of really fantastic businesses that are are willing and open like they want your support and um they're really good businesses too and there's really good restaurants and there's also a great event coming up this weekend there's like a, a downtown trick-or-treating event so you can come from all over the city and then businesses will be giving out candy on San saturday um, and there's lots of other great animations happening in the core. So what I will say is that there's a lot of really committed people who have decided to invest in our downtown. Um, and the city recognizes that. And we want it to be a great place for everyone to go. Mm. Um, 
And there's another piece to our downtown that is like also an educational component. So yeah, we do have a lot of social services downtown and there's a variety of people hanging out downtown. Um, Educating, education is an important piece of understanding what's happening downtown. And I, I spend probably like 75% of my work life downtown and I always feel safe there. It's a, it's a, there are definitely some challenges happening, but there's also great resources and and there's people to call. Um, so if you're worried, there's Welcoming Streets, which is a public number. Um, it's primarily for businesses, but the public can also call into it if they're if they're concerned about people, and they can go and uh, do wellness checks on on people and and help them provide resources. Um, so you know, I I I encourage people to come downtown um, because. Businesses really need it, especially now more than ever. And if if we want, if people want to occupy and own a space, they need to come and spend time in it. Mm. Um, it, it. It needs to be animated. It needs to be owned. And that's not just up to businesses. It's also up to people to come and who live in the periphery to come and spend time in our downtown and to ask for more. Um, what? How do you want to spend time in our downtown? Um, how, what do you expect when you're down, downtown in those spaces? Um, because there's a lot of, like, I think a lot of it is like, people don't actually know, they might not know. And I think that that, I don't, I'm not sure, Adam, but more than ever, I find that if, if you don't know, if you don't know what to expect that, like, you're a little more hesitant. Like some people I find are really hesitant to come down because like mm. they're not sure where to park or they're not sure where to go shopping. And it's like, well, just come and park your car and walk around because there's like a lot of interesting things going on. Right. So yeah, as my, my role as downtown ambassador feels a bit twofold, which is like, yes, there's like a lot of great things happening. Um, but also like an education piece as well. Um, and then, yeah, there are some big changes that are potentially coming to downtown. So how are we going to work with businesses and the community to make sure that during during those changes, so as we renew infrastructure downtown, that we're not losing businesses? Because that's my worst fear. Mm. I do not want, um, you know, we've seen challenging times with the construction of the Wilson Street Parkade and you know, the beautification of Carden Street, where, you know, we've seen businesses struggle. And I know, I know we've had many conversations about those times with people. And where now we are so, I'm like, I love what's happened on Carden Street. It's beautiful. Um, we needed the parking at Wilson Street so that we could get started on the Baker Street development, for example. So we need to grow up. We need to we need to also replace our infrastructure, not just for growth, but just because it's time to replace the infrastructure to support the existing needs of the people of Guelph. So how do we do this in a mindful way that, you know, balances like, you know, the needs of our businesses and the needs of, you know, our actual, our oh, that their needs as well, right? Because like, yeah. if, if our infrastructure starts to fail, then it's going to cause more problems. And I already know that there's challenges for people with things like flooding in their basements. Mm -hmm. And we need to, we need to know that when we replace the infrastructure, that's going to improve the conditions for everybody downtown as well. And it's also an exciting thing because when we renew the infrastructure, we're also going to uh, revitalize the, the streetscapes as well. Like this, like how it looks and how it feels and, 
And that's really exciting because it's going to kind of create a more attractive place to spend time. So Mm -hmm. it's an interesting role. And I think I, I might've, I might've given myself, uh, it wasn't my idea. It was suggested (laughs) because I was probably asking staff way too many questions about Mm -hmm. what was happening downtown and they Mm -hmm. were like you really like downtown so why don't we give you a job (laughs) (laughs) well ambassador clausen thank you so much for uh your time today we'll let you get back to it thank you (laughs) okay thanks adam okay so that was carly clausen so stay tuned uh be glued to your computer or device tomorrow to see those budget docs and uh the budget board opens and the budget stuff happens. Uh, we love a good document drop, don't we? See first topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> red meat. Uh, or tofu, yeah. depending on, yeah. Well, maybe some red meat. I don't know, because they haven't released the budget documents yet. <laughs> um, but that's it. Well, it's got to be tofu, right? <laughs> well, one one would think. Um, that's, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. If you'd like to listen to our show again, you can download it every Monday from our website, opensourcesguelph.com, at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean, or from your favorite podcast app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. I will return to CFRU on Wednesday at 3 p.m. for the movie review show that I co-host called End Credits. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Twitter, Facebook, and Blue Sky for some classic left-wing lunacy. (laughs) And (laughs) if you're listening to us at our regular time on a Thursday at 5 p.m., please stay tuned for the great Turtle Island Underground. And that's one of the many great programs that will that you will hear on this station, CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for this show, you are presently listening to. We'll be back here next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources. And we will see you then.